We turn in God's Word this morning to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And we'll be reading the whole of the chapter. For those of you visiting, uh, we've begun a series of messages on the creatures of the Bible. Dealt uh, last Lord's Day morning with Genesis chapter 1 and their creation on days 5 and 6. We dealt last Sunday evening with the fall of man through uh, the creature of the serpent, Satan, as we learn later in the scriptures. Wondering how you're coming on your list thinking about and reflecting from God's Word, how often did you include Psalm 42? As the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul longs after you. Once again, God's use of a creature to teach a lesson to us. Did you include uh, an event that I'm passing over in this series because this might take decade? to get through if we covered every single reference. Did you you catch the one in Genesis chapter 4? Right? The sacrifice of Abel, of the flocks, the fat portions, of the best that he could offer. Did you catch the one uh, later on in the genealogies? that refers to the great hunter as well. It's interesting how often this comes up, not only in God's Word, but in our singing, in our hymns. Right? The hymn we just finished. All creatures yield to man their subjection in the air, in the sea, and in the field. Lord our Lord, how great thy name. So keep working on that list, see how many you can come up with, and see uh, how long our sermon series can be. But we read it again in Genesis chapter 6. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Excuse me. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and the creeping things and the birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. 
And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a room for the ark. And furnish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Heaven, Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing, of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and them. Noah did this. He did all that the Lord commanded. As far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that you've provided for us. We thank you for this account of Noah. We know that the world still laughs at this account and does not believe it, but it is a record that it did occur. I ask that you'll be with Pastor Bob as he explains this portion of Scripture to us. and ask everything be done in your name and glory. Amen. And amen. We'll look at uh, this and the rest of uh, this account uh, under three headings this morning. First of all, this tells us of a judgment from God. Secondly, it tells us of a promise from God. And thirdly, we see a repetition from God. So the three main points, a judgment from God, a promise from God, a repetition from God. How far we have come from that day of creation in which God said, Behold, it is very good. Things have changed. Things have changed dramatically. We look last Sunday evening at the reason why the fall of man. This is the effect that we now have an earth by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6 that God is looking at and saying it needs to be destroyed. The evil, the corruptness of this is too prevalent. We need, I need, Elohim, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We need to destroy this earth. This is all, you see, because of the effects of the fall. This is what God was saying to Adam and to Eve back there after the fall when he speaks of the problems, of the difficulties. Yes, he, he's not delving into every little thing, but it's contained there. God is saying, because you have fallen, because you have disobeyed me, these effects are going to begin to take place. 
So the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, we see how that occurs between two human beings, Cain and Abel. As Cain strikes and kills Abel, murders his brother. At that point in time, 33% of the earth was involved in first-degree murder. We hear of shootings and killings here in Grand Rapids on a regular basis these days. But imagine if one-third of the entire population were actually involved in first-degree murder. That's what we had, right? At that point in time, as far as the Bible records it for us. Genesis chapter 5 relays for us these, these two lines that continue to go out. We, we get a man by the name of Lamech who, who just scoffs at God in taking another man's life. The two lines begin to separate. We have this line of Seth and we have the line of Cain and we see a dramatic difference between those two lines as the effects of sin begin to set in upon a world population. So much so we come to Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 4, and we have an earth where God has to say, my spirit shall not abide in man forever. This has gone beyond. And not beyond that which he knew, not beyond that which he understood, but it's gone beyond the purpose for which man is upon earth. We come across this, this section in which we read of the sons of God going to the daughters of men and producing offspring. Commentators have debated for years, and we're not going to solve what's going on here in the few moments we have before us, but it basically comes down to, from, from a, a biblical perspective, I mean, you can always throw in wild theories of what's happening here, but from a biblical, consistent biblical perspective, one of two things is going on in this section, both of which indicate the fact that there is a growing corruption. One is that this line of Seth, this promised line, is beginning to intermarry with the line of Cain. And through this intermarriage, the offspring are men of renown. That doesn't necessarily mean a good thing. Hitler would be considered a man of renown. He's widely known, not for good, but for evil. It doesn't necessarily imply that these were some sort of heroes of faith. They might have been considered heroes, but think about the world. The world of that day is corrupt. What's a hero to an evil world? The most evil that they can have. So through this crossing over, of these lines is produced a generation of offspring that are even more prevalent towards evil than others. The other possibility, at least biblically, that seems to be plausible here, is that men became possessed by evil. Literally possessed by evil. 
So you've got to remember, what are we doing in Genesis chapter 3? Genesis chapter 3, Satan is seeking to thwart God's plan. What is he doing in Genesis chapter 4? He is seeking to thwart God's plan by the killing of Abel. Satan doesn't just disappear from the scene. Satan is there at work hard. He wants to, in some way, destroy this promised seed. What better way than to get into the lives by possession of these sons of Seth and to use them to create an unholy offspring? And he can sit back and he can say, See, there's going to be no promised seed that's going to crush me. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Either one of those two results in verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So God comes with a decree of destruction. Verse 7. I will blot out man whom I created. But notice, it's not just man. Listen to the full verse again. I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the ground. Man and animals, and creeping things, and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now, why do they get included? Because they also are exhibiting the effects of the fall. These creatures are beginning to show that they, too, are corrupt. The fall did not just affect human beings. The fall affected creation. How do we know that? Listen to what God says to, to Adam, right? He says to him, look, now you're going to have to work the ground and thorns and thistles are going to become an obstacle to you. The land itself, the vegetation itself takes on a characteristic that it did not have before. The fear and dread of you is going to be upon the animals. There is a relationship before they came and he named them. Now there, there's fear, there's dread. Things have changed. Even in the animal, even in the bird, even in the creeping thing, spectrum of life, things have changed. So they too fall under this judgment of God. But we also see God coming with this beautiful promise, right? This beautiful promise in which he comes to Noah. Now we had a series on Noah, Noah back this summer, so I don't, I, Lord willing, you can go. I don't need to repeat all of that, and we, we can go on from there. If you want to go back and reference it, you can. But here comes the Lord to Noah, to this man, and says, verse 18, But I will establish my covenant with you, you shall come into, your, into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wife with you. 
Now, from our human perspective, we tend to stop there, right? But God coming to Noah in this promise. I'm going to save you, yes. I'm going to save your wife. I'm going to save your children and your sons and their wives, yes. You're all going to be in the ark. It's going to be okay. I'm going to protect you. You will not be destroyed. But think of the impact that the next verse brings. Think of what God is communicating. By not just saying to Noah, I'm going to save you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. God, in this declaration of judgment, comes with this promise of mercy, this promise to protect, this promise to spare, this man and his family, a small microcosm of the population of that day. But he also comes to his creatures. I'm going to spare you too. Not all of you but I'm going to spare a portion of you. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why? Why did God do that? Well, why did he spare the creatures? Any of them. Why, why didn't he just wipe them all out and start all over? Well, we know why he didn't do it with Noah, right? I trust you understand that because God had made a previous promise, Genesis 3, 17, that through the promise line, Christ was going to come and destroy the work of the devil, okay? So we have to keep a human alive. We have to keep that line alive. We have to spare Noah in order to do that. But there is no promise in that regard to the creature. Or is there? Is there one in the judgment of Satan? Is that a promise God is making in regards to his creatures as well? But is that the only promise God is making? It's, it's one of those things that unless you really stop and, and think about it, huh, that is kind of interesting, Pastor Bob. God makes this promise to spare his creatures as well even though he's going to wipe out the entire population of mankind, except Noah, and he's going to wipe out the entire population of the animals, those that have the breath of life in them. And then we're told in great detail, I hope you appreciate that, that, that God, it, it's almost like, okay, Noah, your wife, and your, children, your sons, their wives, yep, get in the ark. But how much of this text in the next several chapters deals with the creatures? Just in terms of the amount of words that God speaks and the detail God gives. First of all, here in Genesis chapter 6, we have this overflowing responsibility 
two of every kind, male and female. So let me ask you the question. Two of every kind, a male and female. So let's suppose, let, 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 let me just give an illustration. Uh, how many pigs then are on the ark? Most of you are going to say two. No, that's not the answer. The answer is four. Two of every kind, a male and its mate. Two sets. Two pairs. So there are four of every animal on that ark. Oh, no, that's not quite precise because God further commands in Genesis chapter 7, okay, if you still have your scriptures open, listen to what God says. Then the Lord said to Noah, now go into the ark, you and your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, a male and its mate. And a pair of the animals that are not clean, a male and its mate. And seven pairs of the birds of the heaven, male and female. So what is going on? Now we learn that of the clean animals, there are 14. So if we said how many sheep does Noah take on the ark, 14 is the answer. We sometimes, in order to somehow or another try to appease the scoffers in this world, downplay the number of these animals. The text does not downplay it. The text tells us God is making provision. God is making a provision to fill the earth with the animals that he created. He does not want to destroy that which he has created. In its entirety, he spares some so that those that are spared can come again out of that ark to repopulate his earth. God's care, God's provision. Look at 19, 619. Well, what's the purpose? To keep them alive with you. I am sparing them. I'm keeping you alive, Noah, and I am keeping them alive. See, if we, if we come back to the text, the answer, why did God keep? I want to keep them alive what God told us. He wants to spare these creatures. Of course, that gets us all into the size of the ark and so on and so forth. But, you know, we're, remember, we're not talking about sparing every single breed of animal. Okay? We're not sparing boodle, beagles and poodles and... Uh, the little hot dog type dogs and German shepherds. It'd be kind of tough to sh save a German shepherd seeing there wasn't any Germans yet. So that would be kind of tough, you know. So it's not every breed. It's every kind. It's kind. When you take the capacity 
that we are given of the ark, that we are given in its dimensions here. Do you realize that over 500 boxcars fit within that? Do you know how many sheep fit in a boxcar? 240. And over 500 boxcars fit. Now I know we all go, oh, how many elephants could there have been, you know? Do you know that the vast majority of animals are smaller than a sheep? This is not impossible. It fits well within that which we are told. If we don't use cartoons to make the boat look like the little thing you have in the bathtub for the kids, if we actually understand that which God is doing here, he is providing a place. Noah doesn't need all that room. Noah's family doesn't need all that room. They didn't need a boat that's the size of 500 plus boxcars. But the animals do. The size of the ark is because of God's care for his creatures. But not only that, did you catch verse 21? Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten. Store it up. It serves as food for you. Yeah, that's all I'm concerned about. That's all I'm concerned about, Noah, is that you and your family have enough food. That's all that matters to me. I, I, this whole thing is just about sparing you, Noah. Yep. So just make sure you got the stuff you need. No. Look at the text. And for them. The them refers to the creatures. I've heard some people try to explain this away, uh, this whole flood thing, and they say, well, we think all the animals just hibernated. That's not what the text tells me. The text tells me Noah had to store up food because God provides the food for the animals. That's what, Dave, that's what we're told in the book of Psalms. God provides for the animals. God provides for them their food. Yes, I'm told that in this book as well, in this account. That God provided for them. This is his promise. For Noah. And for the animals. But there is an astounding amount of repetition. That's, a, that's part of it. It's not that God just says this once. It's not that he just makes the statements once. It's the repetition in these chapters. The repetition of judgment. Chapter 6, 13. Chapter 6, 17. Chapter 7, 21. God repeats over and over, I am coming and I'm judging and I'm wiping out mankind and all that breathe, the breath of air. God's, God's communicating something here, isn't he? He doesn't just say it once, he repeats it. He wants us to understand the severity of sin. 
Well, of course you say, Pastor Bob, he sent a flood to destroy. Yeah, but he didn't just tell it once. He repeats it. So that we get it. Sin is something that angers Almighty God. It is not something to be trifled with. It's not something to be laughed at. It's not something to be excused. It is serious. Our sin, our ongoing sin, is serious business in the sight of God. What Paul meant when he said, should we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means. Why? Because sin brings God's wrath for you and I. Like Noah, we are protected if we're in something, though. Noah's not protected just because he built the ark, just because he knew the dimensions of the ark. Just because the ark was there and sitting, he had to get in the ark. And the Lord closes the door. The Lord says, now go in the thing, and I'll close the door. Yes, sin is serious stuff, but in Christ. See, that's, that's what the ark represents here. The ark is a picture of Christ. In Christ. Our sin is covered. That's why we come to the table next week, to be reminded, yes, yes, Lord, yes. There is the repetition of God's judgment, a reminder to us again of the seriousness of our sin, but that we are in Christ. And in Christ, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. But there is also the repetition of his promise. God says, in regards to the ark, 7.23, 7, chapter 7, 7, verses 7 and 8, 7, verses 13 through 15. Go in the ark, I'm supplying the ark, I'm supplying the ark, I'm supplying the ark. This is our word to a dying world. I've supplied your salvation. It's big enough, it's large enough. all that I've chosen to be a part. What a beautiful picture this repetition is. It's not just once, it's over and over and over again. It's really the whole story here, isn't it? Over and over and over again. The repetition of God's judgment upon sin, but the provision of salvation in Christ over and over and over again. A reminder to us of salvation in Christ. 
But look at chapter 8. Okay, so we have the flood. The flood takes place. Everything is destroyed, right? Everything happens. We understand this. We know this. Verse 22 of chapter 7. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And then come these beautiful words. But God remembered Noah. Tonight, we'll, we'll expand upon that. What, how did God go about this remembering? But for our purposes this morning, let, let me conclude with these points. One, Jesus Christ is going to stand before his disciples one day and give that beautiful Sermon on the Mount. And in part of that Sermon on the Mount, he's going to talk about anxiety. He's going to talk about worry. Remember what God, what, what Jesus used? He talked about sparrows. He talked about the birds of the air. Does not God care for them? And I'm never going to read that verse again. I'm, I'm never going to read that verse out of Matthew chapter 7 again where Jesus speaks about God's care for the birds of the air without thinking about Genesis chapter 6. God cared so much for the creatures that he provides for them as well. We need to be reminded of that. That as God cares for those creatures, of how much more value are you and I? There's a lesson we can take away from Genesis chapter 6. If God is caring for his creatures, is he not caring for you? The Noahs, who are in Christ, his image bearers, the body of his son, 1 Corinthians 12. Does he not care for you? Of course he does. Second thing to take away from this is our responsibility as well. If God so cares, should not we? I want you to write down two verses. Look them up this afternoon. The two verses are these. Proverbs 12.10 and Proverbs 27.23. In both of those passages, in this book of wisdom, we are instructed, take care. Of your animals. Take care of your livestock. Take care of that which is your responsibility. Why? Because God takes care 
of his creatures. God provides for his creatures. So should we. But there is another lesson to be learned. Because that's a pendulum, isn't it? That's a pendulum. I'm going to give you an example. For some of you, you're not going to like this example. But it's the truth. And we need to hear it. Here's the example. If at this moment, some stray little puppy walked down the center aisle, you know how some of you are going to react? Of course I know. You're going to go, oh, what a cute little puppy. You're going to climb over people to get to that puppy. You're going to go, oh, let me, let me hold that puppy. Oh, nice puppy. Oh, yeah, yeah, nice puppy. But if a visitor were sitting right next to you, you won't say a word to them. I cringe when I see that, that ad for that, that organization of the starving dogs and so on, and they're like, yeah, give, give, give. And I'm thinking, on the other hand, we're slaughtering babies. This does not make sense. But on the other hand, I see sometimes the way we do treat our animals, which is better than we would treat a human being. We would be more friendly to some dog or cat walking into here. Some stray. We have no idea how many ticks it has on it. We have no idea how many fleas it has on it. But we'd cuddle the thing. But boy, we get somebody in church who's just a little bit, I'm not talking to them. I'm staying away from them. I'm not going to say hi to them. I'm not going to find out their name. I'm not going to deal with them. Oh, no, no. I've got to go talk about important matters. See that football game last night? I've got to deal with that stuff. That's the stuff I really need to deal with. God cares for his creatures, but he sent his son for mankind. We have a story to tell to the nations. Think about it. How would you respond? How would you respond to that pet? And then ask yourself, would I do the same for a human being? And if not, pray. Ask God. Change my heart, oh God. Change my heart of how much more value is an image bearer of God. Father, this word is comforting. It is. In spite of the judgment, it is so comforting to be in Christ, to know the glorious hope and assurance of knowing that Christ's blood was shed for a complete redemption of all my sin. But Father, it's also challenging because we see what you're doing here. We have to wonder in our own hearts, in our own lives, if we would respond in the same way. Oh, Father, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Help us not to be those people of the book of James who show favoritism. Help us not to be those people who reject, turn.
turn our backs upon those who come. Help us to be open, receptive, loving, caring, kind. Not only to the creatures that you have made, but to the humans that you have formed and shaped in their mother's wombs. For Christ's glory, God's people say, Amen.